All right. Today's episode is going to be about measuring the customer experience and finding new revenue streams outside of traditional ones. From Engagement, I'm David Malay, and this is Flip the Switch. Our guest today is Moon Javid, the Vice President of Strategy and Analytics for the San Francisco 49ers. I first heard Moon speak when I was doing some research on Happy or Not, an instant feedback tool we use with some of our clients. His approach to measuring the customer experience was refreshing for me to see in the sports industry, and it reminded me of how we approached things back when I worked at Disney. As he spoke in that YouTube video I watched, it was evident that we had at least two common beliefs. First, if you invest in making the customer happy, your bottom line will benefit even if the returns on that investment aren't instantly apparent. Second, everything is measurable. Some things are just harder to get to than others. As I've gotten to know Moon this past year, I've heard those underlying beliefs translated into practice. So I thought we'd jump on this podcast together and tease out some of the strategies and tactics that Moon and the senior leadership team at the 49ers use every day. Relevant to this conversation, Moon oversees two things for the 49ers in his day job. Moon leads the strategy and analytics team that enables the 49ers to optimize their business operations. Moon also leads the 49ers' new strategic ventures. So what falls into that second category? Those would be things like 49ers Fit, which are health and fitness centers available to the public and modeled after the same training facilities the 49er professional players use. Or businesses like Elevate, a consulting firm that helps other sports teams with things like research and focus groups, sales and marketing, or even new stadium design. The overarching theme of this conversation is that the customer drives how the 49ers approach innovation. But in order to have effective customer-driven innovation, you can't rely on a handful of emails from a few outspoken fans. You've got to have real diverse data. With that, Let's jump into this conversation with Moon Javid. Moon, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me today. Very excited to be chatting with you. So this is uh, round two, I guess. The first time we did it uh, with Front Office Sports uh, with Tom Moreland was joining us as well. Um, But I think uh, just the two of us today will, will be a good one for everybody. Well, hopefully I can hold it down for you. I know Tom. Tom is great and I love chatting with Tom. So hopefully um, I can hold it down for you. Awesome. Well, let's jump in. Um, I know the first thing that we really wanted to talk about here is ultimately how you and the San Francisco 49ers approach the customer journey and how you approach using data to inform that customer journey and making enhancements to it. Um, So how do you guys think about making improvements for the customer journey? Yeah, that's a great question, David. I, th- I think it starts overall with our internal organization philosophy on, on our fan experience and the customer journey. And if I go back to when I started in about 2013, you know, we were really focused on building Levi Stadium and having that stadium be open for 30 years. And we were really concerned about the lifetime value of our customers, understanding that we want our customers to be with us for the next 30 years and, and more. And as you think about the at-home experience, it's been phenomenal. And it's, it's only been getting better over the past you know, decade, two decades, going from you know, your regular TV to flat screen TVs, now 4K TVs. Um, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of consumers that like to stay home. They have a great experience. 
So how can we mirror that experience or make it even better for coming to the stadium? And how can we ensure that you stay with us for the long haul? And a lot of organizations think through that. And a lot of fan experience measures are generally cost centers. It, it costs money to improve the fan experience. And it's really challenging to prove out the ROI on a specific change will lead to um, a more increased likelihood to retain that customer. So when I started working with Al Guido, our team president, and Jed York and talking to them about these pieces, I said, I can't really build you a model that will prove that customers will come back to us more if we make these improvements. But what I can tell you, it certainly can't hurt. And it just builds <laughs> on your philosophical belief. Do you believe that improving this fan experience will lead to lead to fans being happier and coming back to us more? If you believe that, we can build it out and we can work with you. And so um, fortunately for me and for our organization, Jed and Al do have that belief and, and they felt very strongly about it. So we went out and we started doing surveys and focus groups and we have Happy or Not and Executive Huddle, which I'm sure we can chat through in more detail. Um, but analytically, we just aggregate all of our fans' feedback from as many different touch points as we can. We take that information, we aggregate it, and then we try to synthesize it as quickly as possible. And so we have two different ways we do that, both in real time on a game so that we can make changes to your experience while you're at the game that day. And then we also do a more detailed dive called the, the next couple of days after game. So once we send out a survey that has more detailed information, that allows us to make changes for the next game coming up. Um, and then for further games, and we do pull-ups even at mid-season and end of season where we do deeper dives. Mm. Holistically, we're making small, small changes during the game. We're making more changes in between games. And then we make big changes uh, at the end of each year. All right. So let's, we're, we're definitely going to jump into executive huddle and happy or not, but I want to start with the executive team there with, with, with you and, and Al and, and everybody else of having this mindset that we might not be able to measure this small incremental change, like a line queue at a concession stand change or customer service training or something. But we have a general belief that if we do things to invest in the customer experience that makes them happy, they're going to come back more. Um, I think a lot of people, though, have might have bosses or an executive team that might not truly believe that or might say, hey, I need to see a business case or an ROI to invest in that. Um, it seems like you guys had that mentality. Then you built measurements around it to then yeah. now measure it. So now you're at that point that you can do it, right? Um, what I mean, what advice or thoughts would you give to somebody whose executive team doesn't necessarily have that? What would be a good starting point for them? So, so I'd say two things. One is um, I, I tell them to, to hearken Kobe Bryant and, and the Mamba mentality. And, you know, the Mamba mentality is all about making yourself better every single day. And um, if you talk to Al, Al will tell you that I love to use sports analogies when I'm trying to work with him on pieces. And so I try and bring in as many characters on sports because it's something that our executive team can relate to. And we all love sports. And so I've used the Mamba mentality with him for our member inclusive menu, which is our all inclusive menu that we'll be having for our fans this season. It's, it's not all inclusive, but it's the majority of items that they normally purchase. They'll get for free for season ticket holders. So I'd say, you know, really focus on your storytelling and storytelling mm -hmm. is a good way to really get results. Um, the second piece I'd tell you is start small. So I didn't get the budget for the executive huddle or happy or not, or all these pieces at, at day one. I certainly would not have. All I asked to do was to run a survey that cost the organization no money um, and for them to take me seriously during these 30-minute meetings. So you can ask for time, and that's what I would start with. So if you can't make any improvements, just start measuring it. If you measure it at first, you can start to notice some patterns in the data and say, 
hey, can we make this change? It's, it's very small. So a lot of the changes that you make won't necessarily cost you money. Um, it's the bigger changes at the end of the year that generally cost us a lot more money. But during games and in between games, you're not spending a lot of money to make some of these changes. And so, for example, something might be, you know, in our first season, we we desired more pedestrian control as we're leaving the stadium. And so that what that means is as our game finished, there was a parking lot and fans were just going all throughout the parking lot, scattered everywhere, which means no cars could move. So we simply just had people stand out there with ropes that that guided the fans and let them know that they could walk through these alleyways. Cost one person to be standing out there for an hour, um, not much money, but big difference in, in fan satisfaction. Um, and then what we did is we showed the improvements. So it's very important to show the executive team the improvements that you're seeing. And what we did with the improvements right out the gate, well, I won't say right out the gate. The first thing I did was I showed them the improvement. And they said, well, that's just because we won this game. So very quick insight and said, okay, from now on, I'm only going to show you wins against wins or losses against losses. That way you can never tell me that it's the result of the game that like was, was why yeah. the fans felt this way. So um, really listening to the feedback that you're getting and the pushback that you're getting and then trying to solve for those. You can kind of have one of two attitudes. You can kind of take that pushback and say, oh man, they don't really like what I'm, what I'm talking about. Let me, just, let me just go do something else because I have a million things on my priority list that I have to take care of. Or you can reapproach and start small. Um, and, you know, that's certainly the approach that, that we took was whatever, whatever work we could get approval on, we just did. And we take a we'll, we'll prove it. We'll show it to you and we'll, we'll gladly do that. And if the organization sees value or, um, you know, sees good results of it, they're certainly going to give you more of a leash or more leeway to do some of the work that you want to do. Beautiful. And I, again, I mean, to the point of storytelling and then measuring it and going going back, I think that's one thing that a lot of people get discouraged on, whether you're a director and it's your athletic director that's not taking it seriously or same thing on a pro level, right? If your C-suite is not taking it seriously, but you're a director, right? You, you got to measure it to help present it, right? You can't just slide an Excel spreadsheet across, right? You actually have to put together that business case for it and, and present it. Um, yeah. So beautiful. Um, let's talk about... Uh, executive huddle and happy or not, which came first and how do you guys use both of those technologies? And why don't, if you wouldn't mind uh, explaining what both of those technologies are. Absolutely. So the two technologies you're referring to are happy or not. And so happy or not is a company that's out there. It's called happy or not. And they have these terminals, these terminals that you see, um, they have two green buttons and two red buttons. One's a little bit greener, which is a little bit happier. And one's a little redder. That's a little bit more unhappy. And you've probably seen this in an Ikea or you've seen it as you've gone through your TSA security check saying, how is your security experience today? Um, so that effectively allows fans to hit these buttons in real time. We have 150 terminals located throughout our stadium. So you hit a green, you know, happy face. It registers in real time. And we see that and we know that you're happy with that experience. We don't know who it is. We just know that someone hit that button. Now we receive 40,000 button pushes a game. So we're getting data throughout our stadium on things where people are hitting the green button and places where people are hitting the red button. If I get a significant number of red button pushes over a 15 minute increment, I'm going to send someone down there to investigate and say, hey, what's going on? There's a lot of, you know, quote unquote, unhappy people here. Um, so that's purely customer feedback. So a fan has to hit that button. I generate it and then I aggregate it with all the other button pushes. It's only when we see patterns that will will take action. So then there's the executive huddle. So the happy or not came first and the drive for happy or not really came from Al and desiring real-time feedback. So prior to that, I was only looking at surveys post-game. 
And he wanted real-time feedback. And I looked at survey technologies that were out there that could do things in real time. And I just didn't really like them. And the reason why is I couldn't imagine 70,000 fans pulling out their phone to fill out a survey during a game. I just don't think anyone's going to do it. And I happened to be um, see a Happy or Not terminal that was out there. And, you know, something just clicked for me. And I said, I won't get people to pull out their phones, but I bet they'll hit that button. Um, and the first time I saw it, I actually just sat there and watched people interact with it for 30 minutes. And I was very surprised at how many people hit that button. Because honestly, before before that moment, I'd never hit it. I'd walked by it every single time. you time. always hit them everywhere, though. <laughs> now I hit them everywhere. 100% of the time, everywhere I go, my, yeah. my wife laughs at me every time I'm running past one and I hit it. Um, and I'm like, I'm just supporting the company. That's, that's, that's what I'm doing. Um, you know, and then if I look at the executive huddle, you, the happy or not proved to us that we could act in real time. That if we knew something was wrong, that we could make a change. And as every new technology that we deploy, I like to say it's 50% tech, 50% operations. It could be the greatest technology in the world, but if you don't have the operations to support it, there's no point in moving forward. So that showed me that we could operate on it. And so that's led by you know Jim Mercurio's team is our GM of our stadium. He's got a great team that responds to all of our issues in, in real time. And so wait, but real quick, I'm going to pause you before we go into executive huddle. So as Moon, you're going to have to enlighten us a little bit about how your operations team responds real time, because to that point, it's it's one thing to get the alerts on your phone saying, hey, bathroom number 10 is getting a bunch of red things. But if you don't have the janitorial staff that can then go check out what's going on, because you realistically don't know yeah. why it's getting red. Right. Tell, tell yeah. us a little bit about how, how your operations team integrates in with that. 100%. So we actually partnered with Happy or Not on this initiative because while they had real-time data, they weren't deploying real-time data. So they were sending out next day reports. And so when I talked to them, I said, do you have this? Are you capturing this in real-time? They said, yes. I said, do you have any ways to send it to me in real-time? They said, not yet. I said, can we build an app together? Like you guys build the app. You can use it for every customer you want, but I'll work with you and I'll spend the time with you to help understand what a customer really wants in this information. So the first thing I, I told them that I really wanted was a chat functionality. So an alert gets sent. So we've got, you know, 20 red button pushes in 15 minutes at bathroom number 10, as you said. So now it triggers an alert. An alert doesn't, you know, in game one, it just went to me. And then I had to like tell everyone. And then I realized that was a bad idea after like getting many, many alerts. Um, so in, in now a single alert, the, the concessionaire, or sorry, for this one, the restroom the janitorial staff, the janitor that's in charge of that bathroom will receive that alert, as will the head person for the janitorial staff. So the lead for janitorial. So it's you as an individual will get an alert, your boss will get an alert, and then I will get an alert, and then Jim Mercura will get an alert. So everyone in the chain that needs to know an alert is notified at the same time. So that reduces the need for me to go to communicate with Jim, to then go communicate with the head of janitorial, to then communicate with the guy on the ground. And our protocol is that, that we must get a response on that chat within five minutes or less. And if you don't get a response on that in five minutes or less, you're getting you're getting a note from me being like, what's going on? And I don't I don't get the sense that people like those notes from me very much. <laughs> so we don't we don't usually get that many um, res responses that aren't responded to in five minutes. And now the pushback and you'll work through these things over time, like in game one, it's never figured out. But the pushback in game one was, well, how are we supposed to know what the problem is? And my response to the team was simply, if 20 or 30 people are telling me something's wrong in, you know, 15 minutes, it should be pretty obvious. Um, you know, if it's something small and minor, I'm not going to receive this frequency of responses. And it only took a game for people to like really get on board because 
these, it was pretty obvious. Like all the changes were pretty obvious. You'd walk somewhere and you'd be like, yes, um, toilet is overflowing or we're out of toilet paper or the line's really, really backed up. And if you get there at the concession stand, you can see, I I mean, in a a crazy example we we had is um, we had a concession stand that like had opened a minute after our, our game started and it was completely empty. Like there was no Mm. one there. And so what had happened was a bus broke down that like was bringing that whole concession stand of workers there and so there's a stand that was open and literally no one was there. And so we got some red button pushes and it was highly atypical that we get red button pushes right as kickoff happens. So we sent someone down there and it's like, um, no one's here. Um, we, we, need, we need to get this staff and redeploy staff immediately. And we were already open at that time, right? Yeah. So um, we were able to fix, fix that super quickly. And if we didn't have that alert, we would have found it. But it might have been 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later. Who knows? But because of those alerts, we found out immediately and were able to fix it. Awesome. Did your did your ops team have and an, you don't have to go spend too much time on this, but before you guys implemented it, when you were telling them, "Hey, we're going to be using this technology," did you get pushback from them on that initially, or were, did they see it as a, "Hey, this is going to help us"? Because ultimately, it does help them. Yeah, I think there's you know two different things I would answer there. So the first is the, our senior operations team has a protocol that they like work off of. They have a one feed that kind of deploys all their workers. So it was introducing another system to them and operating on two systems in, in, in real time is not that easy. So I think there was a little bit of pushback there, but um, we decided to just integrate our system into theirs mm-hmm. to make it, to make it even easier for them. Um, and that worked out really well. And then I'd say as any technology, as you roll out anything and, or you have any idea um, I think there's a general rule of thumb that a third, a third, a third, a third of the people are going to be buyers. A third of the people are just not going to agree with what you say or just disbelievers. And then a third is going to be like in the middle. Pick the third of the people that are the buyers and start with them. Like, so I knew when I was chatting with people, I knew our, our janitorial staff and you, you, you picked it randomly, but they were the ones that were most gung-ho and most excited about this. So they were our first deployment. We, I worked with them very closely. Um, we were able to build use cases out of it and show how useful it was for them and showed how happy they were worth it. And then we worked with the other vendors across the stadium and said, Hey, look at, look at how this has worked here. Let's do that for concessions. You know, let's do that for gate entry. Let's do that for exiting our stadium. And so, you know, when you think about where to start, you can think about what's easiest to do. You can think about what's going to make the biggest impact. Um, I also like to throw in there, who's going to be your biggest champion. So when you work with this individual, Who's going to help you deploy it through the rest of the stadium? Beautiful. Great tips for rolling out anything, especially as it relates to technology and the customer experience. Um, so after you guys got happy or not running, you saw a lot of success there. Executive huddle comes into play. Tell us a little bit about what the SAP executive huddle is, how you guys utilize it. Absolutely. So you're, you're right that we're operating with happy or not. And, you know, we've proven that we can, um, respond in real time. So very, very good sign for us. So now we want to take it to the next level because while customer feedback is exceptionally important, um, it's not the only thing I want to consider. Um, and there, there are times where fans tell you something, but they, you know, they might say they want to do some, do it one way, but they actually do it in another way. So it's important to couple and verify and validate that information um, with what's actually going on. So with the executive huddle, we pull in nine different streams of data. So we can pull in things along the lines of when you scan your parking ticket, when you scan to get into our stadium, uh, point of sale data from concessions and retail, weather data, and our happy or not data. And there's a few others, but I'll just stick with those for now. And so now I can see 
not only if I'm getting poor scores from a concession stand by the happy or not buttons that people are hitting, but I can also see if their sales are low. And so I can also have another way to identify problems because, you know, at that stand that I had mentioned where we had no workers there for the first couple of minutes, within probably about 10 to 15 minutes, I would have realized that there was no sales there because I'm pulling in point of sale data and I'm basically tracking it against games that were historical that were like this game. So when you see large differences or large variations, it points us to there being a challenge or there being an issue. Um, So it's the power of coupling the fan-based data of where the fans are giving you their feedback with what's actually going on in the stadium in real time. And our executive huddle updates every two to three minutes. So every two to three minutes, we're getting a new insight and we're tracking, you know, what are our lowest performing stands relative to previous games in terms of sale? What are our lowest scoring stands relative to fan feedback? What are our highest scoring stands? And similar to something that you, you know, echoed earlier on, it's all about the storytelling and the visualizations that we build that allow us to make decisions in effectively 10 seconds or less. As soon as a visualization is up, like it's almost immediate to us what's going wrong because it's all flagged with red or green, you know, red things are not going good. Green things are going good. And so when red and green pops out at you, you immediately draw and say, okay, yeah, we need to send somebody down to concession stands 305 because sales are low and feedback is not great. Beautiful. And and now it's, you guys have it kind of built out as like a bunker suite almost, right? It's, it's a, you, you've transformed a suite into kind of your data center. Is that right? Absolutely. So it was, you know, fortunately for me, like our, our executive team, we sit in suites, we share suites, you know, at the, at the 800 level, which is kind of like the press level. So non-sellable um, suite inventory. And so we were looking for a place to put this. And I said, Hey, I'll just give up my suite and we'll put it in my suite. And you know, for me, it was a, a benefit to do it because uh, I have to be working during a game and I also want to watch the game. And so most times before we had the executive huddle, I'd be running around our stadium. So I'd get to hang out in my suite for a little bit, but 60% of the game I'd be running around and, you know, trying to solve problems. And I just brought it all to me so that I could watch the game seamlessly and and really still help to make sure the stadium is running. Um, it's also turned out to be a very good um, story for SAP as you know, and SAP is a good, uh, our great partner here, and they want to show off what we're doing um, to some other teams. And so having the suite allows for great storytelling, a great showcase for them um, to bring in to bring in some other executives. It's, it's a lot more fun to bring in executives when they can then look at the 50-yard line and see people practicing than if you're huddled in some corner in the basement recesses of our stadium. Absolutely. Um, well, let, let's talk a little bit about how you guys use that data to inform customer experience enhancements in the off season. Um, obviously you guys aren't just looking around at other teams and saying, Oh, what are they doing? Let's implement that. Um, you guys are really some of the leaders here in, in customer experience. So how are you using that data to inform the business cases for different ideas that maybe the marketing team or somebody else is coming up with? Yeah, we, we do that all through our end of season recap. And so with our end of season recap, we really compile all of our focus groups. So we generally conduct about, um, 10 to 12 focus groups at the end of every season. Uh, we combine our survey data, which is our post-game survey data, which generally is about 30,000 responses a year with our happy or not and our executive huddle data. And it's really a whole team effort. So I have a staff of 10. I'm very fortunate to have a, a big staff in the BSA world, all things considered. And it's really a whole team effort. Probably takes us about a month to, to sort through and synthesize that data. And then we effectively come up with a list of changes that we think should be made based off of um, all of that feedback. 
And the list generally starts with about 150 different ideas. And some of them are crazy and some of them are pretty normal. Um, and then we will meet with each department head. So we've, we will bracket them and say, these are marketing enhancements or these are entry enhancements. These are concession enhancements. And then we'll meet with each one of those department heads and say, hey, this is what we're seeing based off the data. But this is really your world. And, you know, you're going to have to make and implement these changes and you're going to need a budget to make these changes. So which ones do you feel good about and which ones are you a little bit more hesitant on? And so then that takes about another month for us to work through with each of the department heads. And it's extremely important to be collaborative throughout this process, because if you get to the finish line and I've made this mistake before and you haven't involved those other parties, they might not be as inclined to make some of those changes um, so it's extremely important to be collaborative with them, hear their voice, and they have other insights that you're not seeing. Like the analytics is only one side of it. Like I'm not living, eating and breathing, parking every day. I don't understand the nuance. I can see what I'm seeing from the data, but I definitely need to have their their input. And when you combine the analytics with the expertise that our team has in their respective areas, I think you get something pretty powerful. And we've timed it now that we work through this during our budget planning process. So that was a mistake that we made pretty early on is the budget process would come out and then we would unveil our results just due to yep. timing. It took us more time. Yep. And, you know, we got some feedback like, hey, this would have been nice a month ago. Like <laughs> now I have to wait another year because I don't have the money for this. So, you know, I'd love to say that we have things figured out day one and we, we launch everything perfectly. But I think really we we have some good ideas. We have a great team and we're ready to, you know, uh, take a chance on things and and try things out and experiment and understanding that not everything's going to work and we're going to improve and we're going to iterate. And um, I think we've certainly done that with our end of year process and it's, it's gotten much better than, you know, the, the way that we rolled it out in year one. Yeah. I mean, your, your point on timing is, is huge. I know for us, like we, we implemented the happier not terminals at Penn state this year, and we've done a bunch of things from a journey mapping perspective, but you know, we, we really started, it was our first year there. So we started really journey mapping the process uh, in, in January, February ish. And we're like, okay, we probably should have done this during the season because now it's taking us all these different ideas to integrate the data points, Miriam with the ideas and we're coming up on budget season. Now, luckily, mm-hmm. luckily COVID-19 has kind of come and all those ideas we would have come up with might've been thrown out the window anyway, but, um, yeah. who knows? Well, let's transition topics a little bit. Um, on, on that COVID-19 note, a lot of organizations right now are going to have to start getting creative as to how they use and leverage their brand to generate incremental sources of revenue. Because who knows what the next 12 to 24, 36 months or the entire future is going to look like in terms of what are fans' behavior is going to be. Yeah. So I think the 49ers, probably better than any other pro sports team, have done a great job creating different incremental revenue streams that are non-traditional. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about those revenue streams and businesses? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the core responsibilities of our, of our business strategy team is to expand our brand. And that's our 49ers oval in ways that you know, aren't traditionally done within sports. So if I think about traditional revenue streams in sports, it's broadcast, partnership, ticketing, concessions, retail, parking. Those are the core areas of revenue. Um, and now we only operate, you know, well, I think it could be 13. No, it's probably only 12. I'm trying to figure out with the wild card, like if we could get 13 or if it's still 12, but let's say 12 games a year. It makes no sense for your property to sit empty for the remaining, you know, 350 plus days a year. It makes no sense to not think about generating revenue during those times. 
So when we came in and, and we weren't the first to do this, you know, I would say that there's other sports organizations that do this very well. Um, you know, the Cowboys, for example, have, mm. have a ton of brands and a ton of um, business entities that, that they that they have underneath their star umbrella. So now, you know, in the 49ers, we, we like to think about it, you know, in a comparable way. It's what will our fans and what will consumers, what will resonate with them if they see the oval? So if they see our San Francisco 49ers brand, um, what will they like? And for me, I, I just use a basic example of a pencil. If I started selling pencils, bought a pencil company, it really wouldn't work. And it's not something I would pursue, even if it made financial sense. But when we pursue things in the health and wellness space, such as physical therapy centers, athletic training, and gyms, you know, that resonates and makes sense. As we think about a local high school sports show and youth sports, and we have our STEAM-related initiatives where we bust in 65,000 students a year and um, and give them a STEAM curriculum. And when we have black football programs that are, you know, free for our community, um, having local high school sports show, you know, makes sense for us. So we certainly do think about all the different ways that we can amplify and extend our brand um, and create sort of a mini ecosystem that could exist outside of the, the game day. Now, now I will say like right out the gates that while it has been helpful to expand our revenues and our brands, this, this time is a pretty challenging time for small businesses. So while um, we're certainly proud of those businesses and they've been um, performing very well, they're, they're not immune to the, the other sure. impact that the rest of the world is facing right now with small businesses. So let, let's dial in on on one or two of those, uh, the, the, these other businesses that have spun out of, of the Oval. Um, let, let, why don't we start with 49ers Fit? Um, obviously, gyms are closed right now, but prior to COVID-19, uh, it seemed like they were really gathering steam and, and having some success. So when, when you think about that, I mean, how did that idea internally get pitched? Um, give us some of the behind the scenes as to the conversation and the business case for that, if you will. Yeah, I think, you know, again, I'm very fortunate to have Al Guido and, and Jed and them being pretty progressive um, executives and owners within within the business. But, you know, effectively just gave them our thought process. And so me and the business strategy came and met with them and we gave them our thought process on how to basically expand the, the 49ers brand. And so part did of that. You, did you present a deck? Did you just walk in? Was it what was what was that meeting like? I think. I think if you ask that question to Al, he would laugh. I, I don't walk anywhere without a deck. Um, <laughs> decks and decks and backup decks and um, you know even more than that. And I tell my team, I mean, we're fanatical about our preparation. That's the most important thing. When you walk into a meeting with Al or Jed, I've probably prepared for an hour meeting, 30 hours for one meeting for a pitch. I probably went through that deck two or three times. I know every question that they're going to ask me. Or I believe I, I'm trying to know every question that they're going to ask me, every pushback have the backup for it so I can make that meeting as smooth as possible. So definitely being prepared, exceptionally, exceptionally important in, in those types of settings. Um, and you need to get things from discussion and thoughts to structure. And the best way to do that is, is with analytics and with decks, because you might have an opinion on gyms. I might have an opinion on gyms. Someone else might have an opinion on gyms. How do you reconcile that? You, you, you can't really, you're all just going to be talking in circles unless the, the, the big guy in the room, in this case, Jed, exerts his opinion and says, OK, we're going to do this. Um, so I love Dex just as a way to get structured thought um, and structured okay. conversation going. And so we, we definitely had a deck in there and the the appetite was there. Um, great. Let's let's see what we can do. Uh, and so I started off exploring some of these areas and, and partnerships that you could really work through. You, you Then you do your due diligence and say, hey, there's 
we believe that this is the market opportunity. So I'll always talk to you about the TAM and SAM. And so that's our total ball dressing market and, you know, our applicable market that we could dress. So like what's the potential opportunity out there um, for us to go after? And then how do we go about and do it? Like we're not experts in a gym. So mostly I look for partners and I look for great partners um, that, that are out there. And again, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position when, when we call partners being underneath the 49ers umbrella. And this is true, I think, for all sports teams. We all have great brands. If you call someone and say, hey, I'm interested in partnering with you on a gym, they're going to talk to you. Like you're not going to get an immediate no. You're going to get a conversation. So we were able to partner with Mark Mastroff, who we are exceptionally proud to be partnered with. You know, I think he's he's the best in the industry in terms of launching gyms. He's launched over a couple thousand gyms um, under his belt and been very successful at it. So if you're going to partner and you have the ability to as a sports team to partner with the best, um, you know, we certainly like doing that because, you know, it might be more expensive or you might not get the deal cut in the way you want when you work with those individuals. But certainly I can tell you, I sleep better every night knowing that I have Mark and his team um, running our gyms because they do an exceptional job. Yeah. And, and to that point, I mean, I know from, from my days of Disney, right. It's like, it might cost more, but if your brand is at stake when you're doing some type of collaboration or some type of joint venture, I mean, it, it, it saves everybody a lot of sleep. The lawyers are more likely to pass those agreements. They're going to be a, a little uh, a little less tight on some of the language if they have confidence and they know that a partner is going to be great. And I, I do think that is the power, like you said, of having a big brand as a sports team. You, pro- you probably carry more weight in those conversations than you realistically should based on the size of your organization because of the power of that brand. A- absolutely. And if you if you even use Happy or Not as an example, I know that's not what we're chatting about here, but I called into Happy or Not's 1-800 number. I literally just call, called in their 1-800 number and said, hey, this is me. This is what I want to do. And within 15 minutes, I was talking to the right person yeah. um, you know, within, within the company. I do that all the time. I'll just call in to 1-800 numbers. This is who I am. This is who I want to talk to. And I will always get a call back um, immediately. And I think anyone within the industry would too. Like People yeah. want to talk to us. We're, we're, we're on sports teams and we're lucky to have these brands um, that we're associated with. And so we can leverage those brands to have meaningful conversations. All right. So tell us a little bit more about some of these other businesses that have spun out of the Oval. One that comes to mind for me immediately is Elevate. Absolutely. Happy to tell you a little bit more on Elevate. And so Elevate is really the joint partnership of the 49ers, Hairsplitzer Sports Entertainment, which is the 76ers and New Jersey Devils, Ticketmaster and Oakview Group. And it was really born because if you really think about it, live sports and entertainment, it's really one of the less shared cultural experiences that we have as a community. Um, but consumers, as we've talked about, the experiences have changed recently with the broadcast and 4K TVs, and our experiences need to evolve in time with them. And so if I'm thinking more specifically about it, what does that mean? And how do we help some of these teams develop innovative experiences that we've imagined historically with our operating and consulting experience? and collaborate with these teams to help really push into the next phase of, of sports and fan experiences. And so what that means in, in actuality is we can help teams and arenas and stadiums redesign their stadiums as they're working on new innovative fan experiences. And we do that with market studies or focus groups. We can then go out there and actually sell these experiences for them. Um, we also work with teams that are starting business strategy teams. As I, as I mentioned maybe earlier in the conversation, about 10 years ago, only 20% of sports teams had a business strategy team. So a lot of teams are now thinking about starting them. And so how do we help them think through their people, their process and their technology and their priorities as they begin their journey in business strategy? 
The last area I'd say we really cover is partnerships. So we can help teams understand what their assets are worth. So asset valuation, and then we can actually go out and sell those assets for them. I, I love it because I think it it really coincides with everything that we push at engagement, which is ultimately about being customer centric. But part of that involves you having this mindset that the fan pays for everything. And how do we ultimately structure ourselves internally is what I hear a lot of the things that you're doing is how do we look at data? How do we partner with, with the right people? How do we enhance the way we sell tickets? How do we um, look at data to basically get smarter and better uh, as an organization? So I, I think it's a really, really big missing piece for a lot of teams. Go ahead. Yeah, I think one piece that I add there in terms of the data and the way that we collect things, I think, you know, two things that are pretty, you know, different from the way that we started to do things when we looked at feasibility studies and working with fans is um, when we do our focus groups, we might do 20, 30 focus groups, but we will synthesize that information in a quick highlight reel um, for the key decision makers to just see five to 10 minutes of focus groups so that they can get an understanding of what um, all the focus groups are saying, I, I don't expect a team president to sit through 30 hours of, of fan feedback. You know, at the same time, we use a conjoint methodology for our fans. And what, what that means is, is that. Yeah, conjoint methodology. And so this one is fun. And so you, you can either ask a customer, how much would you pay for this ticket? So how much would you pay for a 50 yard line seat? And consumers are really bad at doing that. And it's just not within their natural impulse to tell you like how how much I would pay for something. We make decisions in bundles and with choices. And so the conjoint is, it's short for considered jointly. The simplest example that I love to give is, you know, David, would you prefer vanilla ice cream cone at a dollar or mango ice cream cone at a dollar fifty? Would you, then I'd ask you, would you prefer mango ice cream at a dollar twenty-five or chocolate ice cream at a dollar seventy-five? And if I ask you these in rapid fire succession, I could tell you what ice cream flavor that you prefer. And so now if we apply that to sports, I might say, would you prefer a 50-yard line seat with club access at $1,000 or would you prefer an end zone seat or an end zone suite, um, you know, at $500 or an end zone seat with all-inclusive for $200? And when you have tens of thousands of people that respond and respond to these rapid-fire questions, you get a really good understanding of the preferences um, that your consumers have. And then you can couple that with their willingness to pay, which they're not really that great at in the first place, to get a better understanding of how you should price um, the products within a stadium. Interesting. And I love that that's something. And I don't know if you can share any clients that you guys are working with to do things like that. Is that is that a possibility or feel free to say no? <laughs> so I, I will say that the 49ers hired Elevate to help us with the member inclusive menu, which you know, it was a it was a sheer deal, and you know that's you know definitely Moon hiring himself. But we use the same <laughs> methodology that we use for all of our other customers, and I will tell you that it was exceptionally helpful with our executive team. So you know, I might sit on Elevate, but the rest of our executive team does not. So we use the Elevate findings, and they really did help us drive towards the best answer. Yeah. It's, it's funny too. I think when, when I have some of these conversations and this is a quote to me that gets misused all the time. And actually I was in, I was talking about it on Twitter a little bit today with some other founders where they were saying that it's the Henry Ford quote of, if, well, if I would have asked the customers what they would have wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And yeah. so they, some, some people use that as an excuse to like not go gather customer data. And it's like, well, no, that's just the wrong question to ask. 
Right. And so that's what I love about where you guys have a, such a deep expertise in this, that when you go in and you ask questions, um, you can really ask questions the right way to get to the goals and the motivations and the true essence of what the customer wants so that you can make business decisions based on it. Absolutely. hundred percent. And you, you hit the, you hit the nose on the head with what we aspire to in focus groups. So when we're in focus groups. We don't just sit there and show you pictures of everything that's been done historically because we feel that that would limit your limit your minds to just what's been out there. So we start open ended. So it's, I think it's important to do both. And, you know, and so we start with open ended so we can get the ideas flowing and then we might get it into more structured thought. But we we almost always like to open with more big thinking, big ideas and get the creative juices flowing, because if you start the other way, um, the big ideas don't necessarily come. Are there, uh, maybe not in this space, but with Elevate, are there any other clients or case studies that you might be able to share with us? Sure. I mean, since since we were on the phone last time with Tom Moreland at Purdue, uh, I think that one would probably uh, yeah. be one. Um, yeah, so definitely worked. We worked with Purdue as Purdue is thinking about um, the future of Ross Aid Stadium. And so we did a market study and focus group for them. And I'd say one thing that was very different from the way we ran that market study to what we do with other market studies is people don't necessarily think surveys are that interesting or compelling in general. Like I'd say general view out there. Um, And Purdue actually took a different approach and they said, we really want this. This is really important to us. We really want to hear our fans opinion and we really want them to know that their opinion is going to influence what we do. And so we branded the study, you know, help your Ross Aid Stadium. And we bought radio spots and we did a lot of advertising around cool. it. And so we had, we sent it out to about 60,000 respondents. And, you know, we expected somewhere around a three to 5% response rate, which is, I'd say is probably more or less average within that space. Um, I won't say exactly how many we get, but it was more than five times. Like I think what, what our estimate was that we would receive. And it was all based, in my opinion, off of us marketing this. And buying the radio ads, and it's a very local community, so radio work worked in that environment. Um, and there was, you know, a really strong belief with the fans when they're coming into the folks group after the market study. They loved the way that we approached that and how we called it your Ross Aid Stadium. And it was we're very concerned about your opinion, and they felt they were owners, like that they were, you know, really important to make this decision, and they were. And we really leveraged their information, but you know. Very different mindset than when I've walked into some other focus groups where, you know, some of them are hard. And it's like, well, is anyone really going to listen to me? Um, And, you know, it was very clear in that one that everyone was going to listen to them. And I I love that you guys are not just consulting, that you're actually doing some of the heavy lifting. Because I think about it, too, tying it back to early on what we said with your team you can see the data of what's going on in the parking lot, but unless you're actually operating that parking lot without that actual operational knowledge in there from it, if you're not marrying those two things together, it's hard. And so I think that's why being, having boots on the ground is, is key. And, you know, David, you you actually said it much better than me. So Al's probably going to give me a little bit of grief, but you know, that's (laughs) one of our key differentiators is that we like to talk about is we're not like a typical consulting agency because we're also operators. So it's pretty unique to have that blend of consulting and operating experience all in one and be able to talk through it. And it's, you know, we've lived it, we've eaten it, we breathed it, we still do. And we can, and we can still work to consult with you at the same time. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe I said better. Cause I, this is what I, we do too. Right. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're boots on the ground, but obviously working more on the, the customer service, customer experience side of things, a little, little different, but 
some crossover there. Yeah. Um, well, Moon, uh, before we wrap up here, uh, I want to ask this one question. Uh, I think you you've got a great background that actually isn't from sports. Well, even though it's it's heavily grounded in in sports, you've had a lot of experiences outside of the sports world. Um, so if you're if somebody's uh, uh, kind of a rising star in this space and says, "Hey, this whole strategy and analytics uh, thing, I, I want to learn more about it. I want to develop and sharpen my tools in this area." What are some resources or some words of advice that you might give to somebody that maybe doesn't have their MBA yet uh, and is looking to get better at strategy, strategy and analytics? D- David, I think that's what we call a layup. Um, you know, we <laughs> have Horizon Summit, which is June 10th and 11th, which is the largest conference in sports dedicated to business strategy. It is virtual this year and it is free. Um, so sign up at horizonsummit.com. And we have a great slew of speakers that will be talking about really all things business strategy, marketing. We also have learnings from people outside the industry. Um, so Silicon Valley companies like Uber, um, and shop runner that will be, be speaking as well. So thoughts on leadership, how to grow your team, and really some of the most innovative practices that are out there. Um, if I wasn't being so self-serving here, um, really one thing that I always suggest to, to people that are looking to get into the industry is just to reach out to other executives in the industry like myself. And I'd say, ask them for 15 minutes of time. If you ask me for 30 minutes of time, I might ignore your email for a couple of weeks until I'm ready. If you ask me for 15 minutes, I'm almost immediately going to say yes and just give you a calendar to to schedule some time with me. So ask for 15 minutes and ask lots of questions. Um, If you're trying to break into the industry, I think I'd harken back to the advice I I gave when I said, hey, when I'm talking to Al and I I prepare 30 hours for for one one hour meeting. And that's that's actually true is um, you can prepare a lot. There's a lot that you can go out there and do and be proactive and read and the more polished you are and the more I see that you've read or your knowledge about the space, the more engaging that conversation is going to be for me. And, and the, you know, the more of a likelihood that you're actually going to get a second call because I'll probably be nice to you for the full, full 15 minutes. Um, but, you know, a- after that, if you've yeah. shown the real aptitude, I'm probably going to follow up with you um, when I have an opening. For sure. Um, so that's actually the whole, the whole horizon summit thing I, I think is great. Um, I'm probably gonna, I need to, I need to check it out because I had not done my research on the horizon summit. And I, I so I wrote it down here and I thought you were going to come back with like a course or a book or something that had been inspired. And then as soon as you said his layup, I'm like, what is he going to say? <laughs> as, as soon as you said horizon summit, I was like, Oh, we were supposed to cover that. Yeah, you gave me a nice, easy plug opportunity. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, cool. Moon, where can, uh, if people want to reach out to you or follow along your journey, um, where's the best place for, for people to reach out or follow along? So my email is probably one of the easiest emails ever. It's moon at 49ers.com. So moon like the moon in the sky at 49ers.com. Um, I, if, 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 if I get a thousand 15 minute calendar requests in the next, you know, you're not, you're not, this is, we mostly have senior execs listening to this. So I, I think if they, if they're reaching out to you, they're saying, Hey, come work for me. Fair enough. But um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, always just reach out and I'm, I'm more than happy to chat with, uh, with others in the industry. I'd say, you know, there were a lot of people that helped me to break into this industry. A lot of people that I had conversations with, before I broke into this industry that were willing to give me their 15 minutes. So, you know, I'm always willing to pay it forward and, and, and chat with uh, aspiring individuals. So, all right, Moon, great having you, man. We'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks a lot for the time. Thanks a lot.
Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.